tell you this morning um, two seemingly random stories about two people in the Bible, and then I'd like to explain why I think that Christmas actually connects them both, not just to each other, but to you and I. Uh, I uh, used to make guitars. Um, I can maybe still say that I do, but I, I literally haven't uh, worked on one in, well, at least a decade. Um, I've got one that I started, uh, this says 2003, so it's been a little while. Uh, this is the uh, sides uh, of the guitar. Uh, it actually starts off with a, a chunk of wood uh, that you cut down, and then you actually cut it in half and open it up so that it's book matched, and then it has to be sanded down to the correct thickness. Uh, then you soak uh, the sides in water and then steam bend them into shape, uh, adding some kerfing, which will allow uh, the pieces, the back and the top, to be put together. Uh, this is uh, the neck. Um, this is actually uh, made from a, uh, it's called a one-piece neck, a single piece of mahogany. Uh, this actually gets CNC'd uh, down to about 90% uh, of the shape that it's going to be in. Uh, this will actually attach uh, right here into the body of the guitar. Uh, then you've got a fretboard. Um, fretboard is actually made from uh, a single piece of ebony. And uh, each one of the frets uh, is actually then cut into the piece of ebony where the fretboard will uh, actually then be created when the frets are placed into the board. This, uh, most would say, is probably the most important piece of the guitar. Uh, this is called the soundboard. Uh, this is actually a piece of Engelmann spruce. Uh, same thing, it's a uh, book match, so it's cut in half. Uh, opened up, and then those two pieces are actually glued together. So it looks like one solid piece, but it's actually two pieces glued together so that the resonance is even on both sides. Uh, got some abalone right here around the sound hole that I inlaid uh, in there. It adds a little bit of strength to the sound hole, but mostly it's there to look pretty. On the back, though, actually shows the whole diagram of where the bracing will actually go. This is a traditional X-braced a guitar, a couple of fan braces, a brace for the bridge, and a brace along the top. And The braces are super important because, as you can see, this is a really thin piece of wood. And when you actually put strings, metal strings, at that onto the soundboard, it creates an enormous amount of tension, enormous amount of pressure. And the braces are there to actually give the soundboard strength, but also keep it light enough that when the strings are strung, it will actually still vibrate and create the music that it was intended to create. This, though, is not complete. All the pieces are there. The pieces even look kind of nice. But until it's completely put together, it won't actually do what it's intended to do. It won't create the sound, the music, that it was intended to create. This reminds me of our first story that we find in Acts chapter 8. If you got your Bible, I'd love you to open up and follow along with me. 
We're going to start in Acts chapter 8. If you need a copy of the Bible, you can just raise your hand. We've got some folks that would love to be able to hand one to you. You can follow along. There's a table of contents that will kind of show you uh, where uh, you can follow along. Or you can just pull out your phone, open up your Bible app, and follow along that way. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. Acts is actually kind of the story of how the church gets started after Jesus has died, been crucified, uh, is buried for three days, and on the third day... Just as he promised, he raises back to life. And uh, after about 40 days of hanging out uh, with his disciples in his resurrected state, uh, Jesus goes back to heaven and uh, says to wait for the Holy Spirit. About another 40 days goes by while uh, his disciples, which is probably about 100 or so at that time, uh, they sit around and they're waiting and praying. And, uh, and then God sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which is what, when we say the church was born. Okay, so uh, Acts is kind of the story of how the church starts to grow and fan out. It, of course, begins in Jerusalem, and then as people continue to be sent out to different places, and they carry the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with them and tell others, and that's how the church then expands and grows. And Acts chapter 8 is one of those stories. Verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip is a follower of Jesus. He's in Jerusalem, and the Spirit comes to Philip and says, Go to the south road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You're like, what in the world does an Ethiopian official have to do with a guitar that's not complete. I think that the Ethiopian official's life was a lot like that guitar. Uh, From the outside, everything looked pretty good. He is, uh, we know a couple things about him. One, uh, he is an official, a royal official. That means that uh, dude is uh, smart, wise, he's got connections, Uh, He's got power. He is well-respected. He has the ability to travel the way that he's traveling. Dude's got his own chariot, all right? That's like rolling in a caddy or something. I don't know exactly, but but it's the same idea. He's he's doing really well. Not not only that, uh, but he is in charge of the entire treasury of the Kandake. That's like the southern part of Egypt. Uh, That's kind of what Ethiopia would have been at the time. Dude's pretty loaded, well-respected, powerful, wealthy from the outside. He's got everything that you would expect of a life put together. But there's something inside of him deep down that knows he's not complete. That's the reason he was traveling all the way from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem to worship. And the text says that he's actually leaving worship, or excuse me, leaving Jerusalem 
after worship and heading back home. And he's got a scroll of Isaiah. He's reading and he doesn't get it yet. He still knows he's missing something. Uh, I actually think he, he may have been thinking to himself, like, God, I'm, I'm looking for you. Everybody else thinks I got my life together, like things look good. But God, I know something's missing, and so I'm looking. And, and he's really looking, like he's searching. Like, dude went all the way to Jerusalem to try to worship. He's still reading the scriptures, like, I, I, I don't get this, I don't understand it. Like, God, what is it? And God says, look, I'm still at work today. I'm still moving today, so much so that I'm going to actually send one of my cats to go and tell you what you're reading. And so the spirit actually goes to Philip and says, I want you to go talk to this man. He's searching and he needs to know that I'm still at work. And so uh, Philip does exactly what he says. The spirit says and gets invited to sit up with him in the chariot. Verse 32, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? He's been searching, knowing that something in his life is missing, and he's been looking for it, and God finally comes and brings someone who can tell him about Jesus, that Jesus actually is the way, the truth, and the life. And Philip explains to him, this is who you've been reading about in Isaiah. He's the one who is willing to go to the cross When he didn't have to. He's the one who was willing to pay the penalty of all of our sins. And if we'll invite him into our lives to take over, to forgive us, he will absolutely do that. And the Ethiopian is down. Like he believes. He says, man, I am so in. That's what I've been missing. That's what I've been looking for. And he's like, yo, there's some water here right now. Can can I just get baptized? Because in the New Testament, salvation and baptism often went hand in hand. We, we often separate them a little bit. Here he's like, yo, I'm, I'm in. I believe. I, I, I'm, I'm inviting Jesus in. He can take over all. He can, he can come in and take all these pieces that everybody else thinks are good and look good. And, but I know what I'm missing, and I, I'm inviting him in to take over. And he's like, Let's, can I get baptized now? I love it. Dude's like, I'm, let's go. Let's go. So... He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in his death, raised with him to new life. Ah! (laughs) I'm sure the chariot driver's like, oh. You ever feel a little bit like the Ethiopian? Like, to everybody else, they'll look at you and they're like, yeah, they kind of got their act together. Like, life must be good. Like, grew up in a good family, right? You were raised in America. Probably always had a roof over your head. You probably always had enough food to eat. 
got to go to college. Maybe you went straight into the trades, got a good job. Maybe you're making decent money these days. Maybe you're married, you've got kids. It feels like everything's put together. But when you go to sleep at night, deep down inside, you know something's missing. Something doesn't feel complete. When you hear the story of the Ethiopian, there, there's, there's something about, about him that resonates with you. You can kind of see yourself there. But maybe, maybe you're not feeling the Ethiopian. Maybe you're feeling a, a little bit more like my 1976 Honda CB500T. Look at that bad boy. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about my Honda CB500T. Uh, I bought this bad boy a couple of years ago. Now, truth be told, uh, uh, I didn't care about the motorcycle, okay? What I cared about was the sidecar. Uh, the motorcycle, the CB500, it was actually a terrible bike that Honda made. And it only was made for two years and uh, uh, I was just talking to somebody in the lobby before the service, and they told me they had a CB500T. Sorry, uh, I'm making fun of your bike. But that's okay. We both own it. Uh, I didn't care about the bike so much. What I cared about the sidecars because I had all these dreams of what was going to happen. Brenda, my wife, and I, we were going to go on dates together in the sidecar. <laughs> like, how rad is that? And we did, actually. Like, and I always dreamed about taking my kids when they got into their teens on, like, an extended, like, two, three-day, like, getaway, just me and, and one of them, maybe when they turn 16, that would be like a tradition that I would do with each one of my kids. We'd go away for a couple of days, take the sidecar out, go someplace. Like, I just had this dream of what it would be like, and so uh, this past fall, I was driving uh, the bike. Uh, her name is Dreamweaver. Yes, that's right. <laughs> one of the greatest songs written in 1976. And I was literally rocking out to my Spotify Dreamweaver playlist as well because I had some speakers on the bike. And, and I'm just feeling good. It's a nice, sunny, uh, uh, I think it was an August day. And I'm coming around uh, the road behind the airport. And I start to hear something uh, with the bike. I can kind of feel like she's not acting right. And, and uh, then I start noticing uh, not only is she starting to lose power, but something sounding right. And I think to myself, pull over immediately. And then I think to myself, yeah, but you're not that far from home. You can limp her back. Which, friends, was the exact wrong thing to try to do. Because I got about another 30 seconds down the road when all of a sudden it sounded like somebody had just thrown a whole bunch of gravel into my engine. And it started making the worst, awfulest sounds. And smoke started coming. And I realized I just blew the engine. What I did to that poor thing was thorough and catastrophic. I have no idea what all is sitting inside the engine right now, but I know whatever it is, it's in pieces. Maybe, maybe that's a little bit how your life feels. Uh, maybe you had a relationship with Jesus at one point, uh, but you kind of walked away. You knew what the truth of Scripture said about how to live, but you're like, man, I don't know if God's, God's actually good on that. And uh, God, I've been asking you for this thing, and, and, and you don't seem to be wanting to give it to me, and, and so I'm just going to have to go out and get it myself. I'm not sure that I really trust in your goodness. And, and maybe you've walked away 
And now it feels like life is kind of broken. Cold. The passion you once had feels dead. If that's you this morning, you're actually in good company. Uh, The gospel writers tell us about the thorough and catastrophic failure of one of Jesus' closest friends and best disciples. His name was Peter. Uh, We're going to look at a story in Luke chapter 22. You're welcome to flip over there. But Peter was uh, a guy that was... um, he was bold in his faith. In fact, uh, he's the first disciple to actually publicly proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah, God's son. And so uh, Peter is like with Jesus, yo man, you and me, we are in this for life, bro. Like we are, we are in it and, and I'm down for you, like. Peter was like Jesus, ride or die. Like wherever Jesus was going, Peter's like, I'm in. In fact, uh, Peter even told Jesus, yo, uh, if anybody comes for you, they're going to have to get through me first. Peter promised that he would actually die for Jesus. And Jesus says, yo, Peter, uh, you're actually going to do something that's going to haunt you the rest of your life less than 24 hours from now. And Peter's like, not me, man. I'm true. I'm in it. Because... Peter believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but I think Peter actually had a different understanding of what Messiah was going to look like. He he was expecting Jesus to ride in on a white stallion, take over Rome, drop Caesar, and reign as king. And he's like, yo, man, I'm in it for that. Jesus, you want to do, I'm in it. That's where we're going. I'm in it. I'm down, right? Because he thought he was going to rule it as right. Right or his left hand side, he was going to be in power with him. So much so that he says he's willing to die, and Jesus says, dude, you're going to deny me three times before the night's over. And Peter doesn't buy it, doesn't believe it. So much so that Peter's even willing to stand up and show it. Uh, You see, uh, Judas has already left Jesus and the other 11 disciples and has gone to sell out Jesus. And Judas is now coming back to the Garden of Gethsemane with the temple guards. And it's this snake of torches winding its way up the hillside of the garden to where Jesus is at. And and Jesus wakes the disciples who have fallen asleep again and he says, my time has come, the guards are coming. And Peter wakes up and he's standing right next to Jesus. And one of the guards finally steps forward to take Jesus into custody to bring him to the sham trial that's going to lead to his crucifixion. And as that guard steps forward, Peter, true to what he said, pulls out his sword. It's on, baby. And Peter doesn't just pull out the sword. I grew up in Flint. They're like, you don't pull out a gun unless you're going to use it. That's how Peter is. like, I pull out the sword, I'm using it. Boom, and he swings. Cuts off guy's ear. Now, I don't think he's trying to cut off an ear. I think he's literally trying to cut dude's head off. Trying to take it clean off. Dude's like, whoa! Ear, whonk! Ear falls on the ground. Peter's like, let's go! And Jesus says, Peter, put the sword away, man. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And he picks up homeboy's ear, puts it back on his head, and heals him. 
And this is where we pick up the story in verse 54. It says, Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. You see, I think Peter was starting to question the Messiah that he had been following. You see, when Peter began to realize that Jesus as Messiah might not be simply there to take over Rome and to rule as king, I think Peter started to have some questions. Do I actually want to follow the Messiah that has to suffer? Do I actually want to follow the Messiah that's going to go to the cross? Jesus had already said three times before to the disciples that he was going to die. Peter didn't believe him. Now Peter's believing him. And I think Peter's having some thoughts. And it says that he's following at a distance. Keep reading. Verse 55. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. So they're at the high priest's house where this trial is going to happen. It's a pretty big house with a big courtyard. There's a lot of people there. They start a fire. Peter is over there warming himself by the fire with all these cats. Verse 56, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. Now the fact that they mentioned that she was a servant girl is specifically to show that she's of no threat to Peter. And she comes up and looks closely at him and says, this man was with Jesus. Verse 57, but Peter denied it. Woman, I don't even know him, he said. Verse 58, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Peter goes outside and weeps bitterly. Jesus, in his greatest time of need, the one who said he was ride or die, I'll be with you, I will not leave you. Peter disowns him three times in his greatest time of need. And Peter walks out of that place weeping bitterly. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm broken. I don't, I don't know if I can ever be forgiven again. I don't know if God can ever do anything with this. Uh, this is actually a carburetor. Uh, this isn't actually off the CB500. This is off another bike uh, that I think I'm going to try to attach the sidecar to. Uh, I have found that I'm really good at trying to fix things. <laughs> I'm not nearly as good at actually fixing things, uh, but I'm good at trying. And, and I think Peter probably felt like uh, this was his life. Like it had been connected to the engine and there was passion and fire. You could fire that thing up and it could go places like Peter was that guy. In fact, Jesus had actually said to Peter once, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you, man. When Peter said that, Jesus was truly the Messiah. He's like, yo, Peter, that's right, bro. And, and I'm, I'm building my church on you. And now Peter's left walking away and weeping, broken. I don't know if I can ever be used again. You ever felt like that? 
Maybe you made some mistakes at some point. You've done some things, and, and, and nobody else even really knows about it, but you know, and you just question, God, I don't know if you can really ever use me again. You might even be going through the motions, looking like a follower of Jesus, but you know that your heart's really, really far away, and you're just like, man, I don't, I don't know Jesus. Now, there's a fantastic story at the end of John. Uh, Peter, he doesn't know what to do. Jesus has been crucified. He's heard the news of Jesus' resurrection. In fact, he's even seen Jesus. But he's not sure what to do with this Messiah. And so uh, Peter says to some of the other disciples, hey, I don't know what to do, but I know how to fish. Because that's what Peter used to do. That was his family's profession. He says, I'm going to go fishing. You guys want to join me? They're like, yeah, we'll, we'll join you. So they go out. They go fishing. Uh, I have a picture of the place where this event happened. This is actually on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Peter and the boat probably would have been a few hundred yards offshore. They've been fishing all night long. The sun is starting to come up. It's just the beginning of dawn. They haven't caught a single thing, and so they're pulling in their nets. They're about to come inshore, and there's a guy on the shore, and he calls out, Hey, have you guys caught anything? And uh, they yell back, Nah, they ain't caught nothing. And the guy says, Throw your net in on the other side. Now, you need to know something about these boats, okay? They're not that wide, all right? You're fishing on this side of the boat or that side of the boat. Ain't no difference. But this isn't the first time that someone has asked them to do something strange while they're fishing. You see, Jesus had done this very thing when he first called Peter to be his disciple. And so the disciples listen, they throw the net in on the other side, there's this miraculous catch of fish that should not happen. And Peter instantly realizes who that figure is that's on the shore. It's Jesus. Resurrected Jesus, and Peter, the text says, grabs his outer cloak and puts it on and then jumps in. I actually think he puts on his outer coat because he thinks he's going to run on the water. (laughs) He doesn't. He falls straight through. And he has to swim in, but he gets there first, okay? And Jesus is there, and Jesus says, hey, I want to make you guys some some breakfast. Go go get some of that fish. So Peter goes. He helps him pull in the rest of the catch, and and, uh, then Jesus pulls Peter aside. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me as much as these? And he points to the fish. You see, Peter doesn't know what to do. Peter thinks, man, I've blown it. I guess i got to go back to just being a fisherman. That's what I know to do. And Jesus says, do you love me as much as you love the fish? And he says, Jesus, you know I do. And Jesus says to him, then feed my lambs, feed my sheep. You see, what he had promised Peter before is that he was going to become not a fisher of fish, but a fisher of men. And Jesus repeats it three times, one time for each one of Peter's denials. And Peter finally gets it on the third one. Jesus is reinstating Peter. He is showing Peter that he has been forgiven. That that old broken carburetor heart would actually be reattached to the power of Jesus and was going to bring him places. And Peter goes on to be one of the most powerful, prolific, beautiful, humble men of God that the world has ever seen. 
Now you're sitting here thinking, okay, well, what do these two stories have to do with Christmas? Bro, where's the little baby Jesus? All right? Like, it's Christmas time. Why are you telling me these other stories? I'm so glad you asked. I want to answer that question with a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to flip back. This is the last passage we're going to look at this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah lived in Israel, in Jerusalem, uh, probably about 740 B.C. to 680 B.C., somewhere in that time frame. He is a prophet that God comes and speaks to. Uh, At this time in Israel's history, the nation has been broken into two kingdoms. you got the ten tribes that are living in the north. Every single one of their kings are terrible. They don't follow God. They don't care about God. And God says, look, if you won't turn back to me, I I have to do something about it. I I have to discipline you to bring you back. And so Isaiah gives a prophecy that Babylon's going to come in and conquer. Assyria's going to come in and conquer the northern kingdom. That actually happens during Isaiah's lifetime. The southern kingdom, where Isaiah's living, in Jerusalem, they actually have some good kings and some bad kings. And God says, you've got to stop wavering. You need to follow me. And, and Isaiah has another prophecy that because they won't follow Jesus, or follow God, excuse me, uh, he says that uh, Assyria is going to conquer them as well. And about 40, 50 years after Isaiah dies, that takes place. But when we ask the question of where is Jesus in our story today, how does Jesus actually connect the Ethiopian man and Peter, one man who's not fully put together, knows he's missing something. One man who is not sure that he can ever be forgiven by God. We found out why Christmas connects them both with this beautiful prophecy, Isaiah 9, verse 1. It says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those Who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea. I think we're going to get lights on in just a second. Hey, there we go. (laughs) This is actually great as we keep reading. You're going to see how that almost fit. Not on purpose, but verse 2 the people walking in darkness. (laughs) have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Those are specific prophecies about Jesus when he enters the world. You want to know why there's a a star that produces light to guide the wise men? Because Jesus was light. Light come into the world. That's how John describes him. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Why? You see, what Isaiah is saying is right now it might look bleak in your life. It might feel like something's missing. It might feel like something's broken. And for Israel, it was. Israel was in shambles, in ruins. And he says, look, God's going to redeem that. He's going to take the things from your past and he's going to do something with it. The things that you feel are holding you back from a relationship with God. The things that you feel like are oppressing you. The places in your life that feels dark 
God says, I'm coming and I'm going to shine a light in. I'm going to redeem it. How does he do it? Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. God promises to come and give us a son. That is a direct prophecy of the coming of baby Jesus. You say, why are these two random stories connected with the birth of Jesus? Because the birth of Jesus showed us that God will never stop working on our behalf. God will never give up on us. Why? Because when Jesus put on flesh at his birth, that was a promise that God would never give up on us because he has eternally linked himself with us. Maybe it's felt like a really long time since you sensed a move of God in your own heart. Do you know that it was 700 years from the time that Isaiah gave that prophecy to the time that Jesus was born? And maybe you feel like it's been so long since you've experienced hope in your life. But maybe today there's just this little spark. Maybe God is still at work. Maybe something could happen. Maybe God could forgive me. Maybe God could put me together, make me feel complete. Maybe the thing that feels dead and broken, God could bring it back to life today. Friends, that is what Christmas is about. That is the gift of Jesus at Christmas. It's a gift that brings peace and joy and love. Jesus is the gift of hope for the future. Jesus is a gift that brings completion to our lives when everything else has failed us. Jesus is the gift that takes broken things and puts them back together. When God comes at Jesus' birth and puts on human flesh, that is the promise that he will never give up on us. And maybe somebody here today needs to hear that. Um, so this is actually a guitar that I did finish. This is uh, Jordan's guitar. Um, I made this uh, a number of years ago. In fact, I think I might have started this guitar when I started that guitar. Um, it's not perfect. If you were to look at it, um, you would see uh, little things that probably could have been a little better. Uh, certainly there's some, some little nicks on it in different places. But when Jordan, who's a wonderful musician, is able to take this thing in his hands and play a little chord... It's way out of tune. And he tunes it. Jordan's able to make beautiful music out of this instrument. Friends, this is exactly what God wants to do in your life. Uh, this is what Christmas is about. Maybe you feel right now that God couldn't forgive you. Maybe you're questioning if God could ever make you complete and put you back together. But I want to tell you right here, right now, the gift of Christmas is the gift of a God who will never give up on you. But you have to accept it. You have to invite him in. And so I'm going to pray right now. I'm not going to ask you to do anything uh, other than pray yourself. And if God's saying something to you and 
you'll know it because you're feeling it in your head and your heart right now, then just pray along with me. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. This is just a time that if you're like, God, I need you to come in and do something, then you can pray right now to receive Christ, to invite him in, to begin a new life with him. Just pray these prayers with me. God, I need you. I don't understand everything, but today, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you came to this earth, that you died on the cross for my sin, and that you rose back to life. Please come in and take over. Forgive me for the ways that I've blown it, the things that I've made a mess of. Make me complete today. Jesus, I give myself to you. I give you full control. Thank you for your gift. And God, for the others of us who have been following you for a long time, God, we, we simply want to say to you this morning, thank you. I mean, just saying those words, thank you, it just feels like just not enough because what you gave to us with Christ, the gift of Christmas, it's just, it's mind-blowing. It's just over the top. And God, I know how real it is because, because God, I've, I felt the truth of a life in Jesus. And so, God, I just say thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, let us not just be people who say thank you. Let us be people who actually then uh, live that thankfulness out in, in, in our lives before you and others. Jesus, we love you. Thanks for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.